Welcome to Sit, Stay, Download, a podcast where we talk about all things dogs, from training to ridiculous shenanigans. I'm Caitlin, a, we haven't determined my title, dog helper, and, and Janelle uh, is the owner of the company Jananimals. Say hello, Janelle. Hello. Okay, so I have something really fun prepared. I think that you're going to like this. We're going to play Would You Rather, but the pet edition. When I see... You excited? Yes. When I see the little, like, what we might be doing heading, I get, I get very excited. I think this is my favorite part. So you need to tell me, and feel free to explain why you make your choices. Okay. First one, when it's a full moon... Would you rather your cat turn into a dog or your dog turn into a cat? At this stage in their lives, probably my dog turn into a cat because she's pretty rowdy. <laughs> and I feel like she'd be a little less rowdy as a cat. Or would she just be like a really rowdy, crazy cat? Oh, then it needs to be the other way around because it would be, it would hurt you. <laughs> cats, cats have such sharp claws. I personally, I think I would like to see my cat turn into a dog because they just, I'd just like to see what they'd look like because they're so white and fluffy with blue eyes. What kind of dog would they look like? It would be interesting. Oh, yeah. Mine would be orange dogs. (laughs) That's pretty neat. Yeah. Oh, I changed my answer. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Next one. I'm ready. Would you rather have to pee on something when you buy it to make it yours or have to smell the butt of every person you meet? I would, I think, okay. (laughs) I had a knee-jerk reaction, which often happens Mm -hmm. with these questions, and now I need to think about it for a second. What were you originally thinking? My initial impulse is to say I would rather pee on everything I bought to show that it's mine. Because I don't know if this is a world that applies to everybody, and I wouldn't have any friends if I always sift people's butts to say hello. Um, but I, but I mean, at a certain point, your friends would understand that this is the thing that you do, and they would probably just accept it. Would they? It would though? just be like in the world when you're out shopping or whatever. That's when it would be weird. <laughs> pee, pee on everything that I buy. I would rather do that. That's, mm-hmm. I can't. Imagining this world of going around sniffing people's behinds is not, nope. What would you pick? I mean, you can't just go around sniffing butts, I don't think. I, I think everything would just need to be peed on. I agree with you. Now, if you had to if you had to pee on the thing as soon as you got it to prove it was yours, my answer would change. Like if, if you bought something and you were at the checkout aisle and as soon as you paid and got your receipt, you had to pee on it there? Yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. Would you rather have to sing your dog to sleep every night or have your dog feel the need to sing you to sleep every night? <laughs> I I think I would be absolutely fine with singing my dog to sleep every night, provided it took less than about 10 minutes. That sounds quite pleasant, actually. Oh, yeah. that's so cute. Now I'm just picturing you singing lullabies to Valkyrie. <laughs> yeah. I 
think I, I think she'd be down for that. I've definitely sung when my when my puppies were puppies, I for sure sung to them. So that's not that weird, but I love the way this one is worded. Or have your dog feel the need to sing you to sleep every night. Like also, what would that sound like? I'm intrigued to know what that would sound like. Ooh. A dog trying to sing you to sleep. I feel like and this is a deep cut, so I apologize. But mm-hmm. this one time, I played for Elise on the piano, and my chocolate lab started to howl. And it was the most delicate, quiet howl I've ever heard in my entire life. He never howled at anything else, ever. And I feel like that's what it would be like if a dog was trying to sing you to sleep. It was just this like this teeny sound. It was haunting. <laughs> I would pick that one, I think. I would, if that's how it was, I would totally want my dog to sing me to sleep. It would be very cute. It wasn't the least bit annoying. Would you rather have one gigantic cat that you can ride like a horse or lots and lots of regular sized cats, like 50 of them? Okay, well, I don't think it's healthy to have 50 cats. What about 20? Okay, (laughs) that's, okay, still not healthy, but... At least a little bit more manageable. (laughs) I would need a bigger house. I would rather have the 20 cats because cats are stealthy, amazing hunters. And sometimes my cats try to climb me. And if I had a horse-sized cat that was trying to climb me, uh, it would rip my whole back off. And so I think that having 20 smaller cats would be a safer thing. And then they would all have their own little cute personalities. And I, yeah, that's what I would pick. I wouldn't mind having 20 cats. That would be pretty cool. But it would be a lot of work to make your house not smell bad. Yeah. And to make sure they were all clean and healthy. And it would be so expensive. And like, what if you had to check if somebody was sick? And you had to isolate? Oh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. So I guess what I actually want is just to be able to lie in a room with like 20 lovable cats who just surround me with cuddles and love, but then just leave that situation. Oh, it sounds like you should uh, volunteer at a shelter. (laughs) (laughs) And let's not pretend that I haven't gone into a cat room at a shelter and just laid down on the ground and let kittens and cats climb all over me because that has happened. Yep. Yep, so that reality exists. How cool is that? Dreams do come true. Would you rather go to the human park naked or go to the dog park wearing steak underwear? Oh. That. Oh, no. I (laughs) would rather go to the human park naked. Because. I don't know. There might be one dog at the park with the decent leave it command and all the others would not have such (laughs) self-control. And then you just end up being naked in the dog park and probably injured. I'm sorry. I don't know why I think this is the funniest. This is the funniest thing. It's just the funniest image in my head. Like, first of all, steak underwear. I mean. Lady Gaga did it. I think that. Yes, she did. Yeah. Her meat dress. Yeah. All right. So that was Would You Rather Pet Edition. Love it. Okay. 
Okay, let's talk about some critter commotions. Well, we were having a fantabulous walk today, the puppy and I. And she was working on all kinds of amazing behaviors and she was doing such a good job. She was sitting when I asked and she was working on this command we're working on called middle. She was acing touch and down and I was like, man, this is such a good day. And she really likes to pick up sticks on her walk. And um, every so often, she seems like she's a little bit too interested in the stick. And there's been a time or two where I've thought it was a stick and it was something else. And so today, she had her stick and I was like, huh, she's really interested in this stick. I should probably figure out what it is. So I reached into her mouth and took the stick out. And it was not a stick. It was the leg of a bird that she had picked up somewhere it was not from a bird that she had killed because the bird would have already been dead but it was the leg of a bird and i had two reactions and one of them was ick 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 no and the other one was she gave me the leg of a bird i need to give her all the hot dogs so <laughs> so i gave I'm her just, i just want you to know that i'm hiding behind my sweater right now as you're talking carry on <laughs> And so I gave her all the hot dogs and then out loud alone. Well, not alone. I was with the dog, but not with another human. I was like, ew, it gross. No. <laughs> so that was my critter commotion. That is so unbelievably disgusting. Yep. And I've been there. I have been there. Thankfully, it was I, just my, a leg, ugh. right? I don't know if that makes it better or worse, oh, honestly. So I don't know. <laughs> anyway what was yours i hope it's not gross it's not okay so mine is a uh, it's not gross i have another loose dog story <gasps> was it the best but, but, <laughs> no oh. no this this loose dog story is very different from the basset hound that i encountered last episode and this also this isn't super uh, commotion-y, but it was just, I don't know, it was an interesting story I wanted to tell you about. So I had grabbed my iced coffee from McDonald's drive through and as I pull out of the drive through of course, I see a loose dog. It's a chocolate lab, and he's wearing a harness, but no leash. Oh. And so immediately, I'm like, oh, loose dog. Here we go again. Pause. I love how you immediately turn into Detective Janelle. <laughs> <laughs> so here are the clues. Off we go. Okay, continue. <laughs> this is my thing now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this little kind of picnic table area between the McDonald's parking lot and the main road, and that's where the dog was hanging out. But right away, I noticed that he was ridiculously chill, this dog. Like, he was just slowly walking around the picnic tables and sniffing and peeing on things. He just had his own super casual vibe. And I did notice that there was someone parked facing the picnic area in the general area where the the chill lab was. And it was this guy in this moss green, older Kia Soul. And and, uh, so I... Of course, what I parked a few spots away just to keep an eye on the situation because this is what I do now, like you said. <laughs> because it was just so funny. I mean, there was this, this lamb and he's just walking around enjoying his morning and then his own 
owner sitting in the front of his car, window down, McDonald's coffee in one hand, he's vaping something with the other hand, and he is just in some sort of zone. Like, he is so relaxed, just like his dog. Like, these two were meant for each other. (laughs) And I think normally in situations like this, I get really frustrated because put your dog on a leash, people, right? Like, it's the law. And just because your dog is good on leash doesn't mean it might not cause problems for other people in the area, right? We've talked about this so many times, haven't we? Yes. And admittedly, you know, there are the dogs occasionally who are so good on leash that they won't come anywhere near other dogs and they like no distractions get them. But that is less than the one percent exactly anyway that's a topic for another day (laughs) absolutely yes so yeah generally i get so frustrated but i'm just telling you there was just something about this chill vibe lab and the kia soul guy that that made me think they had life a hundred percent figured out All right, why don't we get into some uh, training? Okay, so the first thing we wanted to do in talking about training for this episode was to talk about the name recognition that we gave you a run through of last episode. And I wanted to take a run at talking about name recognition again, because Valkyrie and I were working on it very hard. So would that be okay? Absolutely. Great. Um, So we were working on it inside. It was going great. She's picking up on her name and she was, you know, getting her treats and everything was fantastic and yay. But outside she was still getting really distracted and, and she would not, not lift her head up for that name. So um, I had to work on it outside. So inside a review of the name recognition strategy is you want to make sure that you have something absolutely delicious on hand to give the doggo. You say their name in a really excited way and you wait for them to acknowledge you when you've said it in a really exciting way and then without doing anything else they are offered a treat and so they start to associate their name with a treat and eventually that allows for them to attach their name to good things which means they will be more responsive to it and tune in in their brain when you say their name even if they're not looking at you or those sorts of things you can tell their ears do a thing they're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you go outside and it gets less reliable. <laughs> or <laughs> you go to obedience class, and which I did, and you get there and the instructor says, oh, have you not been working on name recognition? <laughs> oh. And you say, no, I have. This is just a really busy environment. And she, okay, I'll keep working on it. <laughs> so... <laughs> We worked on it a lot outside the past couple of days with all of the amazing distractions and the sticks and the, you know, apparently bird legs that exist. And tonight we had our very first big, like, after multiple attempts with amazing treats and offering her, this will come back later, the opportunity to be successful by knowing she knows it well enough to respond. We got it. We got it. So I would say her name and no matter what she was doing, she would look at me. You got it. Yeah. That's amazing. 
Yeah. It sounds like you were working really hard on this. So hard. And then she just completely ignored me in obedience class. But that's okay. It's hard when there's so many things happening. Of course she did. That's not surprising. But I do love to hear how much you have been focusing on this and working on this. Because I have to say, a lot of times I'll go over it with a client and they'll be like, yep, cool, got it. And then they won't put the time into it because they, it doesn't seem like it's that important. But it truly is that important. Your dog is now going to be, it's going to be so much easier to train her to do everything else because you know how to get her attention. Yeah, and we worked on it. Like Then we were walking and I would say her name and she would look at me, which meant that I could get her attention away from bikes or runners. Oh, it's so great. And it also sounds like you did a lot of training just in real life situations, right? I mean, how much of your training was just throughout the day? A lot. Like I, like I said just before we started recording, I'm sitting on the couch with essentially a fanny pack with hot dogs in it because the training is constant. And that's where you're finding so much success because you're not just doing it in your living room, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that has been really, really key in uh, her improvement. So uh, we have a few other things we wanted to review. And I mean, a couple of them apply to the work that I've been doing with Valkyrie. But do you want to talk a little bit about markers and just really make sure that our audience knows what we're talking about when we use that word? Absolutely. So we're trying not to use anything too jargony um, when we're talking about training, because this is an everybody thing. We want everybody to understand this. And one word we were using a little bit last episode was marker. And what we use the word marker for is something that marks the exact moment your dog is doing what you want them to be doing. So I think of it as snapping a picture. So if you're teaching your dog how to sit, as soon as they sit, you're going to snap a picture. Or if you're doing name recognition, you say your dog's name and they look at you, you're going to snap a picture. So that snapping of a picture, that's, that's a marker. So you're not actually going to take a picture. You're going to use a word or a clicker. And a clicker is just a little device that makes a clicking sound. And it is a very great tool because it's very consistent. It makes the exact same sound every single time. So your dog gets very used to it being the marker. But you can also use your voice. You can have a marker word like yes or good and Whatever you pick, just use it every time only in these situations where you want to mark the behavior your dog is doing right. Okay. Another question that a lot of people have when they're starting to work with their dog and trying to train new behaviors is what can they use as forms of reinforcement? And so there are a number of options. Uh, treats are always a great idea and using a variety of values of treats, and that will depend on your dog, is a good idea as well. So when you're working on a particularly difficult behavior or reactivity or coming back when you're called from playing with other dogs or something like that, you want something really high value like meat. And if you're working on something low key or easier like a sit, then working with some kibble might be all that you need to get your dog's attention. So treats are really beneficial. Is that all we've got in terms of rewards, Janelle? Treats? Only yeah. treats? What else is there? 
Okay, so it doesn't always have to be treats. You might have a dog that is incredibly toy motivated. They love their toys. And you can actually use toys as your reward during training. After you do your marker, you can give the dog their favorite toy, let them squeak on it, do a little bit of tug, and that is their reward, using a toy and some play. And that's a really cool way to train dogs that are particularly motivated to play. Um, It doesn't work great with every dog, but if you can do it, it's fantastic. And then, of course, there's also just praise. Some people just use praise. Good girl, that was great. And and again, this, this depends on your dog's personality. Not every dog, I don't know, I want to say most dogs, this won't work for most dogs unless you're in a later stage of training something, but some dogs just love that praise. And I've certainly worked with dogs who were training things like sit down, even tricks where all they need after that marker word is just a little bit of a cuddle, a little bit of love. It's adorable. I love it. That's so cute. I find it is um, so cute. I find with dogs that I've worked with that praise does become like a lower value reward. And then um, mm-hmm. treats are like the extra bonus awesome jackpot so when we talk about using rewards mm-hmm. in training a lot of people worry that the dog will become completely connected to and dependent on treats being accessible when training is happening or when their behavior is expected but if you mix up praise and treats once a dog has a relatively well-established behavior then you're going to find you have it Like, it's even more consistent because the dog never knows when it's going to get the super awesome jackpot. Exactly. Okay, Janelle, I'm going to ask you to talk about this last one. I think it's so tricky for people. What is the 80% rule? The 80% rule. This is a number that, that you need to keep in mind whenever you're asking your dog to do something. And it is so important, especially when you're first training or when you have a puppy. So what it means is, for example, if you're going to call your dog from across the room and you're about to say, come here, Valkyrie, you should not say those words unless you are 80% sure she will come to you. If you're training sit and you're about to ask your dog to sit. Now, is your dog kind of paying attention to you or are they on the other side of the room playing with a toy is there an 80 percent chance that when you say sit your dog will sit then go ahead and ask but I think you know when they really won't when there's a good chance they won't respond to you and we really want to try not to ask for commands when we're sure that the dog isn't going to respond, because then what happens? Then they get used to us saying the words over and over and over again without any resulting behavior, and the words, they they lose their meaning. You become white noise, and it's, it's the same thing when it comes to repeating things over and over again, right? You don't want to say, sit, 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 a bunch of times. Because it becomes white noise and they're just going to start ignoring you. And so it's the same thing with this. Set your dog up for success. Only ask them to do something if you're 80% sure that they will do it. And that is going to give you the best results. 
Speaking of sit, that was the behavior we were going to talk about today. It's a relatively natural behavior for dogs, and so it's one that doesn't take too, too long to go through because they sit all the time. This is just a matter of connecting the word sit to the behavior of putting their butt on the ground. So, Janelle, oh, tying back to what we were just talking about, what is step one of learning a sit? Step one is say your dog's name. Go figure. Hmm. Yes. All right. So say your dog's name. And because you've already practiced name recognition, your dog is going to look at you. So lovely when that happens. Okay. All right. And then the next step is to actually say the word that you want them to be responding to. So um, because most dogs, when they're waiting for you to do something get tired of standing there looking at you, eventually they will put their bum on the ground. And when they do that, you can use your magical marker word. And currently, my puppy is ignoring the cats. Well, she's looking at them, but she's not chasing them. So I'm going to say, yes. And you're giving her a treat. girl. Yes, that was... (laughs) That's what happened next. All right. And so step three, obviously, would be to give the reward. Now, Janelle, what do you do if your dog is just standing there staring at you? How do you get them to get into the position that you want them to be in? <laughs> um, okay. So like you said, most dogs will default to a sit. So it's generally this isn't a problem, but there are definitely those dogs that like to throw you for a loop. Um, what you can do, there's a couple things you can do. If you, if you ask a dog to sit and they don't, you can wait for a little bit. Don't repeat the command. You've said it once. If they've, if they heard you and they're just not doing it, that's, that's their thing. Um, you can wait, you know, 10, 20 seconds. If they're not doing it, maybe reset, move around, go to a different part of the room, get your dog to move and try again ask them to sit. If they're still not doing it, there are some things that you can do to help them. Now, some people go straight for the bum. Some people like to just push their bum down on the ground because that's the easiest, maybe people think it's the easiest way to go about things, but that is not what I recommend. Um, When I train, I definitely try to be as hands-off as possible. You want your dog to figure these kinds of things out on their own using their brain and their muscle memory. So you pushing them into position just really isn't ideal. You're going to use... Can I add to that just for a second? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. Pushing them into that position isn't ideal. And... It allows the dog a little bit of choice if they're making the decision to sit. And when they make that decision, that empowers them. It gives them confidence and it allows you to praise them for making the choice that you hoped they would make. So um, that's kind of a last resort uh, thing for me when it comes to training. Uh, What I'd rather see people do is use something called a lure. And that is just taking uh, a treat in your hand kind of putting it up to your dog's nose. Don't let them have it, but let them know that it's there. And literally all you're going to do is lift it up a little bit higher above your dog's head and even push it forward a little bit when you're standing in front of your dog. And they should follow that treat with their nose and just naturally sit down. Works every time. Works like a charm. 
<laughs> and I'd say the only caution I have when using a lure is making sure that you keep it within the dog's reach so that they don't start trying to jump. This is especially important with little doggos. And then, oh, we found a squeaky toy. And then sometimes the dogs, because they, they feel, they smell the treat in your hand, they will try to jump towards the treat. So by keeping it closer to them, you're not going to be accidentally rewarding the jump. Great point. Always keep the lure close to them. And of course, we're not going to rely on the lure indefinitely. I like to try and keep my lures to about five times if possible, and then move away from having to lure them. Because once they learn what you want them to do, they'll start trying to figure it out and doing it themselves. You usually don't need to do it that many times. So definitely don't get stuck in that rut of always having to have a treat in your hand and always having to lure your dog into a sit. Only do it a couple times until they figure out what it is you're asking. So oftentimes people are able to get that initial sit, but how do you get the sit, like the dream sit? Like that you sit right there while the company comes through the door or you sit... Uh, right here in the park, even though there's a bunch of kids playing on that structure. How do we get to the point where we can trust our dogs in situations like that? Well, the first thing is it's going to take work and it's going to take practice. I like to look at the three D's whenever you're training a behavior, and that is duration, distraction, and distance. So you're going to use duration, distraction, and distance to help your dog learn how to give you a stronger sit. And you're gonna teach these three things separately. That is so important. So let's start with duration. You're first gonna get your dog, you're gonna teach your dog how to sit for longer and longer amounts of time. And so what you're gonna do, this is actually really easy, is just start extending the amount of time between when your dog sits and when you mark there and when you mark them. When you first teach a sit, you're going to mark right away as soon as they, they sit down. When you start teaching duration, they're going to sit. You might count one, two, then mark. Give them a reward. And if that went well, the next time you ask them to sit, count one, two, three, then mark. Reward. Okay. And just baby steps like that counting in your head until you get to 30 seconds a minute. If you do something and they move before you're able to mark it, you just go back a few steps and try again. And so that is how you increase the duration of a sit. Caitlin, you want to cover one of the other ones? Sure. Yeah, I'll, t I'll tackle distraction. Um, I think in one regard, duration and distraction have something in common. So when I start talking about about this one, it's important that you remember that if at any point you've pushed to the point where your dog is not able to be successful, it just means you've gone a little bit too quickly and you can go back a couple of steps and try again. Um, don't give up on them. Don't get frustrated with them. It's just that it takes time. So um, just reset, move back a step and slow yourself down. I find that oftentimes we get really excited. So for distraction, at first you would ask for a sit in more pristine conditions, um, places where there are less distractions, and then you would be moving more into a place where there were slightly more distractions. So in my home, where there are two cats and a foster cat currently, working in the backyard is the place where the most focused training actually happens for my puppy. 
Um, so when I really want her to show me that she's getting an understanding of behavior, I will start working on it inside where there are cats walking around that are massively distracting. I will start with them at a further distance um, and I'll start when they're sleeping so that they are less distracting. And then as she gets more comfortable with the behavior and I have more confidence in her ability to do that behavior because I've practiced it in situations that are t slightly less distracting, I will ask for it in the more distracting situations and just make sure that I continue rewarding because even though it's the same behavior, the same behavior happening with massive distraction around is a lot harder for your dog. And so rewarding it until you could rely on it and reward occasionally is a really good way to make sure that they're going to continue doing that for you. I think too, with distractions, practice makes perfect. So if you're like, I really want my dog to be able to walk past a bicycle without jumping toward it. Well, you have to figure out how far away you need to be to start your sit without your dog getting up when they see the bicycle and very slowly move yourself closer to this, to, to the bicycle, until you have a sit that can happen next to the bike. It takes quite a long time. It takes a lot of rewarding, but it's very possible. It helps to have a friend with a bike too. Yes, simulated situations where you can ask the person to do things over and over again are incredibly helpful. <laughs> <laughs> the last... The last word we're going through here is the word distance. Janelle, are you comfortable covering that one? Sure. So distance is the distance between you and your dog um, when you give the command. Don't confuse it with a stay where you're putting your dog in one place and you're walking away and you're creating distance between you and your dog. That's, that's a stay thing. When you're teaching your dog sit with distance, what you want to do is to be able to tell your dog to sit even if they're at the other end of your yard and they will do it. And this is actually a really good uh, safety feature to train because if your dog isn't right next to you, it's amazing to be able to tell them to sit even if they're, they're super far away. The way that we train this is... Uh, starting, of course, asking them when you're standing right next to you. And remember, you need to train all of these things, things separately. So you're not going to try and start training a distance sit in a distracting environment. Okay, you're not going to try and train a distance sit and make them sit for 30 seconds. All you're doing right now is focusing on distance. You're just going to take a baby step away from your dog and ask them to sit and they're going to do it and you're going to mark it and you're going to reward it. And then you're going to take another little step back and ask them. And basically you're just going to increase the distance between you and your dog. So just as an example, I would recommend just starting in your kitchen, okay, or in your living room and see if you can get to the point where you're at, you're on one end of the room your dog is on the other end and you, you can get them to sit. That's big. That's awesome. Make sure that you can do that very, very well before you take it outside. Because like we've said so many times, outside is so distracting. But that's where you can start working on some really fun distance. I, I don't know why, but I love getting my dogs to do things when they're super far away from me. Why do I love that so much, Caitlin? 
uh, I don't know. It makes them feel a little bit more like people because they listen to your words from far away. I don't know. It's like, it's so and satisfying. It is. It, I think it's also the trust piece, right? I think anytime you have a moment where you trust your dog and they do what you trusted that they would do is a wildly satisfying and rewarding feeling. Awesome. All right. So we hope everyone gets out there and practices sit. It seems easy, but let's, uh, let's add some of these other factors in. Well, thank you for joining us in another episode of Sit, Stay, Download. We hope that you can join us again in two weeks when we release our next episode, where we'll be discussing everything from training tips to dog shenanigans, anything really dog-related that may help you in your journey to making your relationship with your dog stronger. Questions, comments, hilarious dog stories you want to share, you can email us at sitstaydownload at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Sit, Stay, Download. <laughs>